What is really going on, Crypto Savages? This is your host, C. Edward Kelso, Editor-in-Chief out at Coinspice.io, your home for just spicy crypto things on the net. My guest today is Dr. David Brin. Yeah, that guy. You, you mean the, the science fiction legend, the guy who wrote The Postman, turned into a major motion picture, the Uplift series? Yeah, that guy. He's also a political pundit, philosopher, uh, polymath. <laughs> the guy's an incredible mind, and he has a real interesting take on the crypto space. His politics are not my politics, and that's exactly why I wanted him on the show. He challenges you, and just when you think you've got him figured out, he pivots a little bit, and you're like, wait, what? Um, he's that kind of thinker. I think he's real important uh, to grapple with. And not only that, but he's a fun interview, and uh, we managed to cram a lot of ideas into uh, into this episode. So um, without any further ado, here is Dr. David Brin. This is Jeffrey Tucker from the American Institute for Economic Research, and you are listening to Milk from Coinspice. You're listening to Milk, Soothing Crypto's Burn, with host C. Edward Kelso from Coinspice.io. Your home for just spicy crypto things online. appreciate you coming on a huge huge fan um as i said uh, just just a, a few seconds ago when we were warming up here i think the hardest thing having you on the show uh dr david brin is that i have to limit the subject matter down uh because you are what we call a slacker um you've just done nothing for the last few years <laughs> Uh, uh, he's got a he's got, he's got a, a yeah. course. Uh, he's got a, a PhD in in, in astrophysics. Um, he's a, a world-renowned science fiction writer. Um, he is a coveted speaker all over the world on, on numerous different topics. Uh, obviously, he's had his book, uh, The Postman, made into a major motion picture. Uh, the Uplift series is on everybody's bookshelf. Um, and if that wasn't enough, uh, he's a pundit and a uh, prolific uh, blogger, uh, which I just uh, yesterday uh, read um, a post of his. Um, so he's, again, the hard part about talking to you is, is to find uh, one subject. But let's start, uh, let's start, I guess, in the obvious part. Um, wh- what are some of your, the last writings I could find uh, overtly on Bitcoin? Uh, were about five years ago, and you seem to 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 cozy up to the idea. You like the tech. Um, where where are you now on on the subject? Well, um, my my nonfiction book, The Transparent Society, um, it just had its twentieth anniversary edition, and uh, I never expected that an, an astrophysicist, uh, sci-fi writer, would become a maven for. Um, transparency and privacy policy, but there, there was just a, this vast, empty space for someone speaking up for the only thing that has ever worked in Western civilization, and that is reciprocal accountability. That is our ability to hold each other accountable 
is the thing that enabled us to replace 6,000 years of feudal oppression in uh, societies whose social structure was shaped like a pyramid, a few at the top, priests or lords or kings, bullying everybody else and making sure, cheating to make sure that competition would not threaten their son's ability to own other people's sons and daughters. For the last 200 years, we found a way out of that, and it was called reciprocal accountability, and that is to flatten the social structure and empower people to hold each other accountable. Because all the other societies, whenever they tried to behave better, it was always like Confucius or Augustine or any of these people chiding the rich and the powerful to, right. behave, to behave well. And what Adam Smith showed us, and then the American founders and John Locke, was that doesn't work. What works is empowering the largest number of people to hold each other accountable. And that means their ability to hold elites accountable. So the first thing you do is you break up elites. And that's one of the functions of the American Constitution. <clears throat> you don't let them connive together the way the king and his lords connived to uh, establish monopolies and restrain American trade, which was the reason for the Tea Party. Mm -hmm. It wasn't hatred of government or taxes. Um, and today we're seeing the rise of an oligarchic, worldwide oligarchic mafia putsch to try to end these, um, these Enlightenment innovations. But the thing is, you see, we have five great uh, arenas that we use to do this reciprocal accountability. One is markets. That's an obvious one. Uh, the flatter and more fair the markets, the, the more open the competition, the better we do. And the flattest, fairest, most entrepreneurial period in the history of the human species was under the laws and regulations that were established by the greatest generation, the generation that defeated Hitler and survived the depression and contained communism and got us to the moon and all of that stuff. In other words, the generation that adored Franklin Roosevelt and set up very sharp restrictions on monopoly and on conspiracy among elites. And the number one priority of the Republican Party has been to tear down all of those um, methodologies that the greatest generation set up. Uh, and, it, and it's worked. We're becoming more pyramidal. Another arena uh, is a democracy. And that same oligarchic mafia worldwide putsch is, is trying to destroy our democracy. Um, and science. And that same um, movement is denigrating science and attacking its reputation and its credibility. So you have three, these three uh, arenas within which comp competition is regulated so that it can be maximized. Markets, democracy, science, also law courts. In law courts, um, it's competitive, it's adversarial, and it works best when everybody can see and uh, the last of these arenas is sports. And sports makes it very, very clear. Uh, because you cannot imagine a sporting league that is competitive and that works, that's not tightly regulated. Uh, it's regulation that prevents the cheating 
Um, and if you want to see what happens when you remove the regulations, just watch a sci-fi fl flick called Rollerball. So that's, that's, that's a big, long spiel to get to the point of why I wrote The Transparent Society uh, and why I support blockchain. Because um, The Transparent Society's aim was to point out that all five of these arenas, markets, democracy, science, justice, courts, and sports, operate best in light when most of the people and participants can know most of what's going on most of the time, they flourish. When you start getting secrecy and, and shrouds and uh, cheaters can hide in shadows, uh, markets, democracy, science, justice, courts, and sports um, collapse back into that 6,000 years of cheating when humanity didn't make any progress. Now, how does this relate to blockchain? Well, blockchain is an open ledger. And so one side of blockchain is all about having things be open and accountable and having them be honest because, it's, because you have thousands and thousands of witnesses who will challenge the slightest tweaking of the ledger. The problem with blockchain in transparency is that it also empowers um, secrecy that then can be used to cheat in other areas, not the blockchain ledger itself, but the secrecy that it empowers then enables people to engage in secrecy in markets and, and democracy and places like that. Now, there are solutions to this problem where you can have both the benefits of secrecy and get rid of the um, most poisonous effects. And that's the conversation that I'm trying uh, to get going. And uh, it's, it's, it's a fascinating, again, what I keep kind of coming back to here is narrowing it down. <laughs> Uh, because you're 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 so great on all these different uh, uh, issues, but in what I find so interesting about how you think is uh, I'm going to double back for just a second. I, I heard you call some of them, so I, I can kind of see people hearing what you say or or listening to what you say, um, and they go, "Well, this guy's just advocating for an EU like." umbrella structure where they're coming in and they're they're sort of doling out rights and you know with a big government for all this stuff that's exactly not what you're saying and this is what makes you so plastic and so interesting in, in terms of how you're able to approach this subject you actually don't find the EU model to be all that desirable in in, in uh, I, I think that i think that the european reflex of uh, protecting people people's privacy rights with paternalistic laws and regulations about what people are allowed to know is diametrically opposite to the, to the right way to do it. Right. Uh, it, it utterly ignores how we got our freedom and how we got the benefits of transparency. Mind you, their instinct is correct. The instinct of the ACLU, and I urge people to join the ACLU and the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Right, right. It's the end of, end of the year. Join a bunch of NGOs to, to help save the world the way you want it saved. Um, um, the paladins of freedom are all, have all been raised 
under the Western meme of suspicion of authority. And you find this in all of our movies. And the difference between a decent person of the left and a de decent person of the right, um, when we're not in a state of civil war, is that the person of the slight left or moderate um, is worried that that big brother is arising amid um, conniving aristocrats and faceless corporations. And the person of the right uh, thinks that uh, freedom is being threatened by new big brothers who are rising among snooty academics and faceless government bureaucrats. <laughs> yep. uh, and then that's libertarians also. Yes, sir. Uh, if, you, if you put it the way I just put it, which is the logical way, then the only logical answer is, well, duh, cheaters will try to cheat from any direction they think they can get away with. And we should be admitting that each other is right. Um, even though, uh, say, I am more concerned about a worldwide uh, mafia push by, um, by, by right-wing um, uh, oligarchs who want to reestablish feudalism, sure. nevertheless, I frequently online say that uh, my father had friends who were killed by Stalin. Uh, <laughs> it could be dangerous uh, from that direction again. Yep. So guarding each other's backs is a perfectly good reflex. It's an American reflex, and it's one of the first reflexes that the enemy has tried to overcome, uh, destroy um, by reinstating uh, phase eight of the American Civil War. But the point is that, that all of these people are right to fear that we will lose our freedom and our privacy to nascent big brothers. The problem is that their reflex is to say, we must demand that elites not look at us. We must tell the governments and the corporations, you are forbidden to look at us or know this or, or that about us. And my response is find one time in the entire history of our species that that ever worked. Right. You, can, you cannot order elites not to see, we're monkeys. They are powerful humans, and they want to see, they will see, and if you banish the technologies to see, like there are idiots who think you can ban face recognition technology, right. um, uh, there's what's called Brin's Corollary to Moore's Law, and that is that the cameras get faster, better, cheaper, more numerous, more mobile uh, every year at a rate much faster than Moore's Law. Um, in such a world, Telling others that they can't see is exactly what the elites want because you won't blind them, but the law might blind average folks. And, and this is how you get, just to jump in, you, this is how you kind of get your Panama papers, you get your, you get your offshore stuff. So even though the, the crankier side, my crankier side would be to love the fact that these guys and gals are, uh, are avoiding uh, paying taxes because I, I don't I don't wish to pay them myself. On the other hand, they're the same ones advocating for laws to enforce taxation payment, and so they get to cheat, they get to hide. And you're saying it's under this rubric of 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 kind of a perverse enforcement of privacy. Well, exactly. Uh, look, there are two things. First off. Um, what others know about you is less harmful to you than what others can do to you. 
And there is only one way to prevent governments and elites and corporations from using what they know about you to hurt you. And that is if you know about them. If elites are stripped naked, and our parents in the greatest generation proved this, if elites are stripped naked, there are severe limits to what they can do to you. And that's more important than what they can know about you, especially since you will not stop them from knowing about you. So since it's lost cause anyway to stop them from knowing about you, you might as well aggressively tell them, you know all about me, I'm going to strip you naked. You, the rich, the mighty, the government elites, strip. And the answer to that that people give is, how can you ever have equality of power between those elites and the little guy? You can't. Not individually. But the greatest invention of the 20th century, of at least the second half of the 20th century, was the NGO, the non-governmental organization. It's the thing that Vladimir Putin fears most because it, 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 George Soros's NGO stole the Ukraine from him and, 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 and made, him, made him vow undying revenge, which he's inflicting on us now. Um, the NGO enables you as an individual citizen to pool your resources with millions of others in whatever way you as an individual think is important. So you send money annually to the Electronic Frontier Foundation. They, they pool that with half a million other members and they can hire as good lawyers as Exxon. They can hire lawyers as good as Google. ACLU, 2 million members. They can hire lawyers and researchers as good as Google can hire. In fact, they can hire the ones who have conscience. So they can hire better ones. But, and, and what's, again, what's really important here is you're not necessarily in lockstep lining up with the EFF or even the uh, ACLU. That's not your point. Your point is no, to no, flatten the... No. No, uh, look, I send money to both and I, I urge people, as I just did, to join them every year, even though every year I chide them. Because uh, while they see the right enemy, and that is co uh, coalescing power groups, and they fight the right enemies, uh, elites that might use information against us, uh, two-thirds of the time they are trying to get European-style systems that cannot work. Right. But... I send them money anyway because one-third of the time they are pushing transparency on elites, and that's worth it to me. Uh, they are fighting on my behalf. Uh, I also have more of a voice than most people, so I'm also out there fighting on my own behalf and on our behalf, and sometimes people even send me money. Um, <laughs> the, point is, the point is that we have proved that it is possible to strip elites naked. Now you spoke of tax laws. Right. If we had worldwide transparency of ownership, a simple worldwide trans, uh, treaty that said, if you own something, you must declare that you own that and declare that you're, it's, it's yours for taxation purposes. Probably roughly a quarter to a third of the world's property right now would suddenly be declared open. Now, what would happen to your taxes? 
especially since half of that illicit property would be abandoned by its owners and be a windfall for the world's governments. The cynic idiot would say, our taxes would stay high and governments would just get bloated. And that's absolutely idiotic. The, pol <laughs> the politicians would curry favor with the remaining power center, which is us, by lowering our taxes. In other words, the zero-sum game here is not between you and government. It's between you and those who are cheating your government. Now, that's very hard for a libertarian to swallow. Deeply, uh, it, deeply it, troubling. Deeply <laughs> hard. Because... Because the reflex that you have been taught is that the only conceivable enemy of freedom and openness and the C word competition is government bureaucrats. But if you look across the last 6,000 years, the principal enemy of freedom and competition was not bureaucrats. Adam Smith recommended using bureaucrats to counter the real enemy, which is owner oligarch lords. But uh, people can read about this on my blog. They can read about it in the Transparent Society. Certainly, if you, uh, what I'm doing is I'm challenging you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. not expecting to, to convince you. I'm, I'm not. I'm not expecting to convince you tomorrow. This is Vin Armani of Cointext and Counter Markets, and you're listening to Milk from CoinSpice. Um, you have actually you're actually immersed in the space, right? Well, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an advisor for a fair number of ICOs. I tend to be the grouch who uh, on the board of advisors says, have you any idea how, how you guys are close you guys are, are to going to jail? Here are some things you need to do to simply avoid going to jail. They'll make an example of, of the worst 5% of these ICOs. And right. you won't go to jail if you can just behave as well as the better 90%, which means, means you get away with a murder. Um, and and the, the thing to do is to remember what the ICO is about. The ICO is about promising a utility within a cyber world. And that utility is of value in its own right, and it's why people own the coin. And if people want to sell their coins in the outer world, that's their business. And all of the ICOs, they, the, their lawyers put out boilerplate page after page saying, we do not promise this is an investment. Right. Now They're trying to avoid the Howey test, right? Just, exactly, exactly. So what you have is, um, is this, the real parallel for an ICO is not so much blockchain. You can have an ICO without blockchain. The biggest example was World of Warcraft. Right. World of Warcraft, Steve Bannon made his first fortune um, selling um, magic swords okay. that, were that were farmed in World of Warcraft by poor Chinese guy guys working 14-hour days for almost nothing. Um, you know, he was a slave master. Um, and... And selling them to rich Westerners, selling these magic swords to rich Westerners for dollars. Um, there are uh, ICOs, there are coinage systems that deliver exactly what you, they say they are offering. 
Uh, Bitcoin is is one. The coinage ones that are used for a currency are, are and and the 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 governments of the world are going to come down one way to one degree or another. Going to come down on this. Um, the, the best example of uh, a coin system that is absolute, nobody's going to go to jail, are coins that have immediate use in the cyber world. For instance, those that arbitrage um, uh, computer clock cycles or memory space. Uh-huh. If, you need, if you need computer clock cycles or, or, uh, cycles or you need um, memory, you can simply participate in a community that uses your coins to simply buy what you need and then sell it back um, in a fluid way. This is market helping uh, stuff. And if you buy those coins for clock cycles outside in the real world with dollars, nobody is going to bother you. Uh, Even if the price goes up and you make money off of that because the excuse works because people are buying them for that purpose. Okay. Um, other coin uh, supposed inner worlds are, for example, one that I advise is making, um, uh, trying to make an inner world that will arbitrage um, credit for amateur science contributions. Well, that's a little harder to set up. <laughs> um, or... Yeah, or arbitrage um, fact-checking, which is something, of course, we desperately need. And people <laughs> should look up my, look up my name, uh, David Brin, and fact-act um, to look into that. Um, but in these cases, what I do is I advise them and I say, look, you just sold a bunch of coins for a lot of money. Um, and clearly everybody who bought these coins it bought them for their investment value, but your lawyers got you to say publicly, that's not what we're interested in. These coins have a value in this inner world. Uh, If you want to stay out of jail, at least assign one nerd to try to build that inner world. (laughs) If you have at least made a good faith effort to build that inner world and create that utility like World of Warcraft swords, then there, then you won't be among the worst 5% and you probably won't get your wrists slapped. And they're coming. But you, but you won't go to jail. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, this is an aspect of ICOs that they always, they blink at me and they, they say, oh, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> Uh, which is why I should, you know, I, I, I suppose why they keep me on the boards of advisors, even though I'm a pain in the ass. <laughs> um, that's that's that, the value of, of talking to you because what, what I think you do just immediately or reading you is you, you splash water on this. So, so even if ultimately we, we may disagree on X or Y uh, strategy, I, I think you – I think you're poor intellectually for not having dealt with your arguments or the person is um, just, just to put a pin real quick. So I, I can make sure I get in this question because it's uh, it, you made me think of it, um, which is um, the problem of talking to you. Uh, <laughs> cheaters aren't, aren't I, uh, uh, ICOs in interne- uh, initial initial coin offerings, rather uh, Bitcoin, uh, this whole, don't, don't we need cheaters? Aren't they super important to to inform us, or what? What, what am I missing? Uh, no, no. I, the word cheater has 
to be has to be a cancerous uh, has to be retained in its meaning as a cancerous uh, c word, because cheating um, destroys competition. Now you can call government regulation a form of cheating. Okay. It certainly is. It certainly is when um, you get the scenario that Ayn Rand uh, complains about. She seldom complains about uh, socialists. She considers them to be sappy patsies. If you actually read Atlas Shrugged, it was, um, I was I was I'm dying to ask you about that. So go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. The the uh, the the people she disdains. Yep. Are um, rich people and corporations and all of that who then use their power to capture government regulation. Yep. She called it the and aristocracy and, and pull. And this is why she chose a railroad as the archetype of being destroyed by this uh, process of capture by, by entrenched uh, aristocrats. And uh, what, what she never thought that was that it would be Democrats who would actually read her and act on the act on it because the interstate <laughs> commerce commission which which was the captured agency she was complaining about was dissolved and banished and crushed and burnt and the ashes burned by the democrats because they are the heirs of adam smith who actually want um capitalism to work uh and i could give so you a ten, i i could give you ten thousand examples well the last uh, the last presidential administration to actually um uh, dismantle a federal agency was, you know, if I ask my, my libertarian and crankier uh, right-leaning friends, oh, Reagan, obviously. No, no, it was Carter. Well, well, actually, actually, uh, I, I, can, I can disagree there because on some minor levels, both Clinton and Obama did it as, as well. Uh, the point is that you, all you have to do is look at outcomes, okay. capital, capitalist outcomes, and they're always better. Uh, oh, right, right, under, right. Under Democrats, especially back in the old FDR uh, under the greatest generation. But right. that's a whole argument about whether or not regulation can happen in ways that reduce the cancer on competition, which is cheating, but at the same time do not cloy because libertarians are right to have a reflex, an instinct to suspect that bureaucrats will cloy and mess up. It wasn't just the ICC, it was also the Civil Aeronautics Board, which Democrats banished, returning competition to airlines and the breakup of AT&T. But I wanted to mention one other thing, and okay. that is um, that there's a lot of science fiction now about Bitcoin and about ICOs and about blockchain. And uh, the most fascinating thing that we didn't have time to get into, and that is autonomous uh, self-enforcing uh, self contracts, uh -huh. which are already loose on the internet. You ha already have algorithm entities out there that are buying and selling services on their own for their own benefit. What a time we live in. Yeah. And uh, probably the guy who is writing the most science fiction about this, um, well, Cory Doctorow certainly is writing a fair amount, but it's rather romantic stuff. Right, right. Is Carl... Carl Schroeder, S C H R O E D E R. He's in one of your um, anthology, right? Yes, he's, he's in my anthology. He has a blockchain um, ICO type story, fascinating story in my anthology, Chasing Shadows, uh, which plug, plug. Um, <laughs> I, certainly, I have a num number of challenging transparency ideas and all of that in my novels, Earth and Existence. Um, 
And uh, of course, uh, nowadays, uh, given what's happening to us politically, I'm getting more and more mail about the postman. That's what right. Kevin Costner filmed. Um, and the, I'm getting scary um, notes from people who actually want to do what the villains did in that. Uh, in that book. And because I'm a good writer, I put the rationalizations of the villains, I give them things that a villain might actually say. And so I'm hearing spouted back in public the rationalizations for a return to feudalism that my villains said in The Postman. And I am just, it's just painful. <laughs> I couldn't imagine. <laughs> Uh, well, um, I urge everybody listening. Um, I have uh, kept uh, Dr. Brent far too long and at a frantic pace here uh, to smoosh everything. And it's just impossible to uh, go to, um, I urge everybody to go to davidbrin.com. Uh, you can find everything he does there, uh, his blog, uh, when he's speaking, all of his books, um, his social media, just, he, he's, he's a font and he's a guy you're gonna have to come in contact with. Um, when I, when I, was, my, my, go ahead. My, my, uh, my blog is called contrary Bryn. Right. Because what, what I really am is ornery and contrary. And I knew I'd have a lot of libertarians here. So I said a lot of that stuff that would poke them in the eye. Yeah. But in fact, uh, I'm, I'm a guest speaker at a lot of libertarian uh, meetings, and, and I consider myself to be one, though certainly not a Randian. Yeah. Um, but the, the um, if you go to Contrary Bryn down in the comments section, it's one of the oldest um, and best um, commentary communities on the web. So yeah, we will certainly welcome some, some libertarian, uh, some sane libertarian voices down, I cannot, down there. I cannot promise you we will send those your way. <laughs> um, All right, guys. Again, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And um, take good care. Thanks, Ed. And uh, happy holidays and, and much... Here's, here's to a rambunctious, independent, citizen-level civilization that, that, that rises up and becomes Star Trek. Here we go. I totally agree. I live long and proud. <laughs>